Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and with me today is Lakia Cherry. Lakia is the CEO of the Network for Social Work Management, an international membership organization dedicated to strengthening leadership in health and human services. Lakia has a master's in social work from Columbia University and a bachelor's in psychology and legal studies from UC Santa Cruz, and holds a certificate in nonprofit executive leadership from the National Human Services Assembly. Her expertise ranges from executive coaching, leadership development, team building, training, management consulting, diversity and inclusion, and career development. Today, we're talking about the network for social work management and how it supports a practitioner's transition from a clinician's role into an administrative management role. Lakia, welcome to our show. It's so nice to have you here today. Thank you, Graham. I'm pleased to be here today. Thank you. Nice to have you. Hey, you know, I want to talk a little bit about you personally and kind of what was going on in your day-to-day life that uh, brought you into this kind of role that you're in right now and what you're doing. But can you give us kind of the mission statement and focus of the Network for Social Work Management? So the network for many years, its mission was to strengthen social work leadership and health and human services. But many years ago, we realized that our services would be applicable to anyone within health and human services, the nonprofit and social impact sector. So about a year ago, my board and I decided that we are going to update the mission and the vision of the organization. The organization has existed for over 30 years and it never had an update, but we wanted our mission and vision to be more future forward. So with that, the mission of the Network for Social Work Management is to strengthen and mobilize diverse social impact leaders through education, leadership development, networking, and community building. And then with that, the vision of our organization as we move towards the future is we envision a just and inclusive society co-created by diverse leaders using a racial equity framework to advance social good. Really good. Really. Wow. I really like that. It's very comprehensive and uh, very inclusive in many, many ways. Well, well, tell me as we kind of hold that as a framework for what you're working within and what you're bringing people into, I know you made this transition from more of a clinical role to a management role. And and as you look back, what was happening in your day-to-day professional life that inspired you to make this transition yourself? Well, to be honest, I never wanted to be a manager. I didn't even think it was possible for me as a social worker. So while at Columbia, I studied advanced practice and programming. And so I wanted to work with people. I wanted to facilitate and lead groups. I also wanted to do clinical work, but I never saw a social worker as a leader in the traditional way we think of leaders. I saw myself more as a helper. So when I graduated from Columbia, all of my roles were direct practice. I was working at Harlem Children's Zone with families and children. I was working at a child advocacy center shortly after that. And again, primarily doing clinical work. So this is really kind of a mind, kind of a shift, almost like a paradigm shift for you having to come into this. Complete paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah, complete paradigm shift. And so again, all of my work immediately after my master's program was clinical work. This Mm -hmm. is what I thought 
social workers did. These are the type of roles I had always seen social workers in. It wasn't until I was working at a parole office as a clinician with high-risk parolees that I began to question whether or not this was a life for me and whether or not there was something more that I could do with my skills. And so with that, I remembered oh yeah, duh, your background is in practice and programming, perhaps you could find a role where you can utilize some of that programming training. So I found a job for a technology startup company in Washington, D.C. It was corporate culture, not necessarily social work, but I felt that I could utilize my social work skills for this particular role. So I moved to Washington, D.C., and I began this new journey as a macro social worker. And so when I was in this role, I started learning really quickly, and my bosses saw something in me and thought, you should perhaps be a manager and lead some of the other people on your team. And so admittedly, when I was first confronted with that, I said, no, thank you. Because for myself, I see myself as more of an individualist in many ways. And I felt that it was better to be responsible for my own work and to do well and to shine as opposed to being responsible for the work of other people and how they show up and how they manage their responsibilities. And so my boss at that time said, Lakia, there's no I in team. And so the more we work together, the more all of us will shine. And so it changed my perspective, another paradigm shift, and I gave it some thought and decided, although I didn't necessarily know how to lead other people, I would give it a try. You're coming into this saying, not only was this a mindset that you had from your training and your own personal view of self, that this is my little bubble that I'm going to be working with within and it's going to be these kinds of roles not that they're bad roles but this is this is all that i see see kind of my model and my schemata professionally and you begin to expand this and you have other people kind of imprinting on you a little bit kind of mirroring back to you of hey you have some extra skills here and some extra abilities that i think you can be contributing in larger ways to help other people grow as well but it required you it sounds like to kind of expand your sense of yourself and what you could bring and maybe even see some other other aspects or dimensions of yourself that maybe you hadn't discovered or fully appreciated before. Exactly. So it definitely took a wise supervisor who was observant <laughs> and who was paying attention to me in order yeah. to identify those skills. But also it took some negotiation. Um, once I kind of understood what they wanted and they kind of encouraged me that I could do it. I did have to do a lot of self and inner work to believe in myself, but I also had to really amp myself up with the additional skills it took to lead other people. I would like to hear a little bit more about that piece because I know that in this transition, it's not like, okay, I'm going to go from practitioner to manager overnight and I'm boom, there I am. It's going to require some things. What were some of the challenges? Actually, you just mentioned one or two right there. What were some of the challenges that maybe you hadn't thought you'd experience, but you were experiencing as you made this first mental shift and then maybe skill development and then moving into this role? Talk about the challenges that you experienced in this transition. The first challenge um, was frustration. It If you were a high performer and you are someone who is solely focused on yourself and your work and your product, and now you have to pay attention 
and care what other people are doing, that can be a lot. And then realizing that everyone has different personality types, everyone is bringing different skills and strengths to the table, and it's your job as a leader or manager of a team to be aware and cognizant of that and to utilize that awareness to bring that person forward and support them with the work that they're doing. And so... Once I kind of paid attention to the models around me, the other leaders and managers, the people who had led me before that I respected and liked, I began to see the things that they did with me that I could do with other people. But then also I began to do my own research and my own work to ensure that I could be successful in this role. You had some good models that you could say, hey, I want to cherry pick from some of these models that were really helpful to me. And then you did your own work. Talk about that piece that allowed you to kind of take what they gave you as models, but kind of really make it your own. So I like to say I'm a sponge. And so I'm definitely really observant. As a first generation college student, I always knew that I wanted to go to college and be successful, whatever that meant, whatever that looked like. So I always looked for role models, people who looked as if they had power and authority and were quote unquote successful. And I looked to see how they dressed, how they presented, how others responded to them. I'd look for their style of writing, et cetera. So I began to do that within this particular culture to see what felt authentic to me and what I could take and mesh it into my own personal style. But then I also reflected on what are the things I didn't learn and my social work program that I really needed to do and to learn if I want it to be successful. And so through that discoveries, through that research, I learned of Harvard Business Review. Google was around then. And so I started Googling, you know, skills for managers, uh, management training, leadership development. And I learned of Harvard Business Review, which I fell in love with. And from there, I started reading articles from business professionals about leading and managing a team. And so that became my quote unquote Bible for ideas for building a culture within my own team, but also leading them successfully. So you really had to be honest. And it sounded like you were kind of In terms of a strong ego, you were strong enough to say, hey, there's some areas where I might need to supplement my skill set, some areas that maybe I didn't get training (laughs) and that in order in order to be what I believe I can be, I'm going to have to supplement this with some other resources. And I know the Harvard Review is a cool, cool site to go and kind of cherry pick from the things that we really need around that. How nice to kind of use that as a compliment to those models that you have with people that really guided and walked you through some things. So let's take that. And you began to transition then. And let's jump into what inspired you to take the role of CEO for the network of social work management. Once I became comfortable with leading and managing a team, I began doing well. My team was doing well. Our particular program was doing well. And I did that successfully for about a year. And then I wonder, well, what's next? So one of my core values is growth. And so for me, once I learned something well, not necessarily mastering it because I don't believe in perfection, but once I was doing something well, I thought, where do I go from here? So I began to share with my boss at the time that I wanted to continue to develop myself further. And I didn't see the people above me moving or leaving anytime soon. So I wondered, am I just locked into this role for the next few years? And so I received a few additional responsibilities, but 
there was still this lingering part of me that still wanted to be within the nonprofit sector, seeing a direct impact. So I also okay. began conveying that to people at the company I worked with, in addition to mentors. And what happened was the CEO of the tech company ended up on the board of the Network for Social Work Management. Oh, okay. Okay. And so through this long drawn out process that I won't get through, I was sought out as someone who should consider applying for the opportunity. I had never heard of the network, but I applied, interviewed, and I was chosen. And so this was the beginning of my journey with the network. That's really good. So then as you came into this role and you began to expand these services and begin to kind of incorporate yourself into this program, tell me, the people coming to seek your services here, who is a clinician? that is typically trying to move into this new role? What, what are they typically experiencing in their lives? Uh, how maybe long have they been practicing thus far? What questions might they be asking themselves? And why might some of them want to be making this move, do you find? Mm, great question. So we've seen that typically social workers um, and clinicians in general, about two years after they graduate from their master's degree program, they typically have a desire to move into a supervisory role or just by nature of their work and the environment they're working in, they're placed into a supervisory role. But what happens is in social work programs, many of our programs focus, for example, primarily on micro work. So you're learning how to be a great clinician, but you're not necessarily learning how to supervise and lead other people. And so once people move into these roles, either by choice or just because, they then are seeking our organization for the tools to help them to lead effectively. Really good. As they're thinking about making that transition, you shared very openly and candidly about some of the uh, transitional challenges that are just an inherent part of this transition. What are you hearing some other people if they, if they just kind of take this step into without proper preparation? What are some of the challenges that they're likely to experience not coming into it as methodically or as comprehensively as you're encouraging people to do and as the way you did? What are those challenges that they might experience? I'd say the first challenge is simply managing your time. And so many of us aren't taught to manage our calendars effectively, which is why burnout is a major issue. And so now if you're responsible for people and their work, figuring out what your process is going to be to manage your calendar in addition to their calendar, but then also applying the skills that you learned with regards to therapy and working with clients, you can utilize those same skills when working with the people that you're leading and managing. And so you shouldn't just have empathy for your clients. You should have empathy for those that you're supervising and you should still establish rapport and seek to utilize some of those foundational things that you do with a therapeutic relationship as you're developing a relationship that's supervisor, supervisee. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Behavioral and mental health professionals provide critical support to our communities in a time when our communities need it more than ever. But they need support too, to continue their education, to connect with colleagues, and to advance their career. And so we've launched Triad, the hub for behavioral and mental health professionals. At Triad, you'll find education, community, and career resources for both current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, all curated specifically for you and all for free. 
visit us at hellotriad.com slash BHT to register for your free professional account. Again, that's hellotriad.com slash BHT. Come join the community today. So all these things you're saying that can be, you know, they already have some skills and, and, and training and they could be generalized into this new role. Let's talk more specifically then, what kind of services are you providing these folks that are coming in and you're basically, you've been there, done that, you know what it takes and you're beginning to kind of share with them, this is what I want you guys to understand. What are some of the services? I know you guys do mentoring and leadership and yeah. capacity building and conferences. Walk us through some of those things that are part of your offering. So we do a lot of things. And I will say that most of the things I created when I first came to the network, because I realized I didn't have these things. And if I would have had them, yeah. it would have significantly impacted my career earlier on. Therefore, I utilized myself and what I wanted and needed to bring forth programming to the network. So some of the programming that we've had and that we still have, we've had in the past an international mentoring program. This was a program where we utilized professionals from around the world within the health and human services space to serve as in-kind mentors for other early professionals within the field. They would be mentored for about eight to nine months. Initially, the program was something free that people can just apply and be selected for. And if we had a good match for them, they would receive a mentor match. And then myself and my administrative coordinator would be responsible for kind of like case management of the process to ensure that things were going well. That's a program. We've also had a policy fellowship program for health and human service professionals who have a desire to learn more about policy and to lead in that space. Oftentimes clinicians and social workers were on the other side of policy. Policies are created and then we have to respond, but we decided it was important for us to begin to lead in this space. So we created a program where people could receive more mentorship around a policy area of interest. That program is about a year. They also present Another program that I created, which is in alignment with my doctoral work, is called Changemakers of Color. And so as a CEO of color, I realized that there is a racial leadership gap in the nonprofit sector and that many of our leaders and boards of directors were white. And so in a sector where we're serving a lot of communities of color and our world is becoming a lot more diverse, this was extremely problematic. So in my doctoral program, I did research to validate what I saw and experienced firsthand. And I created a program to support people of color in the sector who desire to move into leadership roles. This incorporates coaching, mentoring, didactic training, in addition to opportunities to network in order to expand their social capital and their source of social support. That's another program. We have an annual conference. Due to the global pandemic, we created a forward thinking summit. Our organization is extremely interested in the future. And with the pandemic, we were reminded of the importance of being future forward and being on top of the trends and the things that are coming that we're not necessarily ready for. So we created this virtual summit um, to begin preparing our audience for this, to be more strategic with us. We also have a journal. We have numerous newsletters, blogs. We have a lot of things going on, Graham. Yeah, you really do. You know what I really love as I'm listening? I think some of the best 
programs, creations, innovative moments come from the places where we find ourselves in need of something more or stuck or challenged by something. And we can either, you know, get better in that moment or we can get worse. And ideally we can become really creative and out of those moments can come some really, really important things that can really not just benefit ourselves, but benefit other people. And what you're talking about here is recognizing, Hey, if I'm going to make this move, what do I need? I need to be honest with myself. And what are some of the challenges that are going to be inherent in this move for me? And where might I need to supplement my skill sets, et cetera? And how do I go get those? And then what I'm loving that you're doing is you're taking all of that and you're creating, it sounds like this pathway for people to experience probably a little bit less challenging path that you had when you were going through it, but you've laid this out for them in a very, very clear way that you're going to help them navigate all of these different steps, along with other people that can be supportive of them. They can have a community. That sounds like a really exciting way. If you're going to make a transition, this is the way to do it, isn't it? Yes, definitely. So I recently did a workshop with the Salvation Army, and it was on managing oneself. And so I used the tagline, who we are is how we lead. And essentially, the idea came from Peter Drucker, Harvard Business Review again. And it's the importance of not expecting other people to hand you things and to manage your professional life and career, but the importance of your doing your own inner work and your own awareness and emotional intelligence with regards to what are your strengths? What are you good at? How does that show up? What's your personal mission statement? So we all want to have impact in some type of way, but what's your personal mission statement? What are your values? And is the type of job that you want or the place that you currently work in alignment with your values and beginning to assess that? What type of environment do you belong in? You know, all of us don't belong everywhere. If you want to wear flip-flops to work, perhaps you don't belong in a corporate culture. If you're an introvert who really wants to work from home, but there's an environment where you're required to be at work, that is not the place for you. And so we really went through these different questions, but kind of with what you were talking about, we landed on once you do all of that internal processing, that internal work, who can hold you accountable? Who can support you? Who can mentor you? Who can coach you? Who can sponsor you? Who can support you on this journey? But then if there are gaps, what are you going to do to ensure you're filling those gaps? What is the additional professional development? And so with the network, I'd like to say we help people with all aspects of that. That's fantastic. We've had a guy on our show, uh, Dr. Guy McPherson. He talks about how he's got a uh, program called the, the uh, Trauma Therapist Project. And he it encourages so much, you know, as clinicians, we, we learn so many techniques and skills and strategies, the science of what we do. And it's so important to be grounded in that. But he so encourages very much what you're saying right now is who am I? And what, do I, what am I bringing to this that I want to stay within my kind of my wheelhouse? I want to buff it out if I can to, to grow, not that I'm going to stay limited, but I, I want to stay in my wheelhouse in a way that's really going to be my most effective place to be touching people, experiencing fulfillment, and really utilizing all the skills, gifts, and abilities that I've been given and to, to, to steward here. And I love that's what you're doing with these folks that come in to say is, who are you first? And what do you bring? Let's stay within where you are going to be most successful and then grow those to the fullest potential. And I think that's where a lot of folks in their schooling forget that we learn all these things, but we forget kind of who we are in the process. And he talks about how we are our greatest tool. 
Exactly. And if we can be really clear about that and that in that vulnerability and in that susceptibility of who we are, then we can see where others are in their vulnerability and their susceptibility and together kind of come together. And in a management role, I can certainly see that have some that, that having some really benefit in that position, helping those you know that you're managing and administrating over to really reach their fullest potential. I love that, Graham. I recently became an executive coach. And one of the things we say is you are the instrument. And so the importance of utilizing yourself and who you are and how you show up when you're working with other people. And I think sometimes people move into these roles and they forget, how do they like to be treated? Mm -hmm. How do they want to receive feedback? How do they want people to communicate with them? And so, yes, power is nice to a certain extent. A title is nice, but we're all just people. And so utilizing yourself and what you want, what you know, what you need to be vulnerable and to kind of share space and craft an experience for the person that you're leading. I really like that. I, I always think of two two models. There's the business model and there's the relational model. And we would understand that as clinicians, we come more from a relational model. And then we have to move, let's say, into what we think is going to be a business model where the management and administration, and it's about numbers and policies and projects and you know making sure they all get done. And But what we forget is that, I believe, is that the business model is only going to be as effective as you maintain that relationship model first. If you do the relationship model with the business model, you're going to have something really in, in combination, just really awesome. And that's what you're encouraging and teaching people to recognize and then develop, develop their own identity around. If you do the business model without the relationship model, it's that old saying that says rules or that relationship equals rebellion. The idea mm-hmm. is that we're not going to get as far as we could go if we don't incorporate that relational piece. So I love what you're doing about reminding clinicians who they are first, and then building this management administrative position and this identity around that. Really nice. What you're speaking to reminds me of, I don't know how familiar you are with the future of work, but if you look at the data around the great resignation and why so many people are leaving their jobs, it's because we've moved so much towards the business model that we forgot the importance of the relational model. And so when you think about the workplace of the future, you need to incorporate empathy and vulnerability and flexibility. Those soft skills that many of us have avoided or thought were less important, they have to be incorporated with the business model. And the best leaders are the people who can navigate both worlds. It's complex, but it's required. That's beautifully said. I think therein lies the art of making that transition into that role and being able to balance both of those in such an artful way. Hey, this is a wonderful program. I love the way you come at this and the way you think about these things. We're kind of winding a corner here as we kind of wind down for today. I'd love our listeners to get some resources from you that they could follow up, maybe about you personally, about the social work management network that you're doing. Give us some resources, would you please? Sure. So if you're interested in the Network for Social Work Management, you can sign up for our email list at socialworkmanager.org. There's no cost, but it's valuable, obviously. So you'll definitely receive a lot of resources to support you with your journey. But then if you're interested in learning more about myself and my external work as an executive coach and consultant, you can go to lakiacherry.com. Spell your name for us. L-A-K-E-Y-A-C-H-E-R-R-Y. And then obviously.com. Awesome. That's great. 
That's great. I'd like for our listeners that may be considering a transition from a clinical role to an administrative management role, what closing thoughts uh, might you have for them that could maybe help nudge them to learn more about this life on the other side of mental health as a clinician's role? I think the biggest and the most important advice is understanding your why. And so if you're ready to transition and move on, why? And really taking some time to process through it. Is it for money? Is it for impact? What is it about this title change, this new position or role that speaks to you? But also, what skills do you have that you could bring to the table? What is lacking? What else do you need to seek out in order to be the best leader possible? And so as a leader, it's not all about you. It's about the people who are following you. And so it's important for you to come into it with good intentions and to do your own work. Because by you doing your own work, it's going to benefit the follower as well as the overall company. I really love that. You know, I, I know that there are various types of leaders, but I think the most effective leader is the servant leader. And that's really what you're describing here. Someone who really serves the people that are, you know, that they're in charge of or they're managing with a heart that has all the things that you're describing and teaching people to incorporate in their role in that servant leader way. That's when things really have a chance to, to, to grow and people to grow and programs to grow. Yeah. I like that closing message to those folks. Lakia, you're awesome. It's been great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your network with us and all that you're doing and really appreciate your time with us. Thank you, Graham. It's been great to be here. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Lakia and me today. We always appreciate you being with us. I want to remind you that this episode, its resources, and all our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So go check out triadhq.com slash BHT today and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us and we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.